Welcome to The Awakening Podcast, where we have truth tellers, not whistleblowers, where we have facts and not conspiracy theories, the podcast with solutions. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. I'm also on BitChute as Awakening Podcast. My guest today, he's been on my speaking podcast, episode number 62. Please welcome Eric Edmides. Hey, Roy, good to be back. Oh, excellent. And one thing that I'd like to start off with, because uh, when we spoke uh, before, you, you would have followed Tony Robbins on stage. So it shows the caliber of you as a speaker. But what I've noticed is I know from following you, you're not afraid to speak up about the craziness going on in the world. But I was actually highly impressed that Tony's done the same. And But there's very few doing that. So just can you, is it people are afraid they'll lose followers by keeping quiet? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm not afraid of it. It's just that I, you know, cliche here, I, I just feel the fear and do it anyway, because I, I feel compelled to do what I believe to be right. So, you know, and, and yeah, th there are any number of fears. There's the cancel culture, there's shadow ban blocking on social media, you know, um, you, you can measure, you can post about your cute puppy dogs, and then you can post an opinion about COVID-19 and you just won't get the same traffic. You won't get the same flow through. Like I, I have a rough idea of what any post is going to produce in terms of engagement with my, within my community. But I can tell that when I, if I post something that's a little bit more on the controversial side, uh, that it isn't getting the same level of audience. And, um, and, and I think there are people, I, I, I won't name names here, but I was working with a very prominent media company. Um, and uh, they had asked me for my opinion on things like COVID vaccines and so on. And I, I shared them with them. And my opinions are not particularly controversial. In fact, I think they're fairly well balanced. But then again, they're mine. And maybe I'm not objective about that. But they said, geez, we love your answer. But we just, we just don't feel like we can put it on our platform. And I said, why? Do you feel it's going against the narrative? And they go, no, no, just because it's on the subject. The minute it's on that subject, it's going to get throttled on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, there is a lot of fear. And if you look at somebody like Dr. Joseph Mercola, long before COVID even struck, uh, Google changed their algorithm and suddenly he lost 90% of his web traffic overnight. Now, I'm not making any judgment about whether Dr. Mercola, I don't know him very well. I don't, I don't know his material very well, but, but I can suggest that that does not indicate to me real tight support of freedom of speech, irrespective of what he's teaching. Because even if you don't agree with some of his ideas, I don't believe that he's inciting hatred. I don't believe that he's spreading writing vast falsehoods. I don't, I, I believe that he is out there doing good work that he believes in and his, his, um, his uh, speech is being impeded and that's, it's a tough time. Yeah, no, cause uh, last week in my uh, YouTube channel was uh, taken away because uh, I got my three strike rule and, uh, and what I've noticed, cause I do a lot of marketing is I like track everything I'm doing and I was watching my numbers. Sometimes it would go back 500 and the people that I'd done was like Derek, uh, Dr. Eric Nepute, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. So like these were people that have qualifications that were given the information, but yeah, it doesn't matter. They were kind of taking us out anyway. So. Yeah. And then, and then try to get any answer about how to fix it, get it back or whatever. And you just can't get anything from them. So, exactly. you know, I, on some level, it's like you kind of do have to be careful, but I, I, I also think that the, the truth has to get out there and, you know, I, look, I, I, I'll tell you, I have a few of my friends that have gone nut bar crazy. I mean, they, they're, they're, they believe that aliens are, and maybe they're right. Maybe I'm the one that's not bar crazy, but you know, they believe that aliens are running the big corporations and you know, the, 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 the 5g causes COVID's conspiracies and all this kind of stuff. But you know, 
there, there, so there is this point where um, free speech is creating a lot of clutter and noise. Um, but there's a bigger point where now just by touching on subjects that are, are, are sensitive, there's definitely a big brother thing going on that says, well, it's not even that we don't want you to say that. It's that we don't want you to say anything because we're going to say it all. And that, that, that's not ideal, in my opinion. No, exactly, exactly. So I'm curious, I know you're big into the health and everything, but I'm curious, when was your kind of awakening moment when you realized everything wasn't quite as, uh, you know, when we're kids, we think everything is right and dandy, but, uh, you know, something clicks and we go, hey, there's something wrong here and it just gets bigger and bigger. Congestion charging in London, England. That's, that's, when, that's the first day where I saw something that the people around me just didn't see. And, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. You see, if the government had come to the people and said, we are concerned about terrorism. And as a result of that, we're going to start installing cameras all over the city so that we can find license plates of stolen vehicles and you know to catch bombs and all this kind of stuff. The public would have weighed up the cost of that financially and the cost of that to privacy against the perceived threat from terrorism. And they probably would have rebelled against the idea. The idea that you would be photographed every 15 seconds as you're walking down the streets of London, England, that you have literally no privacy in that city. The public would never have gone for that. They, they wouldn't have. And we'd already seen a lot of our civil liberties getting eroded because of, after 9-11, all of a sudden we have to take our shoes off getting on the plane. Uh, you know, in America, the whole entire TSA was established. And you know, there's a point at which these things do need to happen. There's a point at which these things are closing the barn door after the horse is gone. But there's also another issue, and that is that our civil liberties slowly get eroded. And we we choose to allow that erosion in per, in the in the in the perception of safety. You know, it's all like we're we're allowing that to happen because it makes us feel more safe. But I suspect that had the government gone to the people of London and said, hey, we're going to photograph you every 15 seconds because of a possible no, Londoners are tougher than that. They've been through the IRA. They're like, we, you know, no, Bo, but but if we make it about the environment. Now, listen, I'm all for supporting the environment. I all, I'm all for it, but I don't believe for a minute that that's what the congestion charging system was for. I don't believe that that's what it was for. I believe that it was a way of getting the public to fund their own surveillance. And when I saw that, how I lived in England at the time when I watched it happening and everybody around me is like, and, and then I, I discuss it with people and I go, oh my God, you're, that makes sense. And by the way, if you're all for personal liberty, and, or sorry, if you're all for personal safety, yeah, a van gets stolen in Manchester. And if it enters into the congestion charging zone in London, you're going to know about it in five seconds, right? Okay, maybe, maybe, is that worth it? I don't know. I don't know. But it, we're definitely at a place right now where we are giving up civil liberties in our perception of safety. And, uh, you know, I think we have to be careful of that. And uh, I seen one of your videos uh, recently. I, I'm not sure when it was, but it was you were going through the airport, and it's like the stupidity that's going on at the moment. And I think you're looking for the earphones, and you might just tell people the things that you witnessed that day. You know, I, I think you can look in the old days. The word customs, uh, you know, now we have customs when we go into our countries and come in and out of country, you have to go through customs. And ultimately, customs just means tax these days, right? That's that's what it means. In the old days, customs were a recognition that every culture had its own customs. So, you know, say uh, the uh, uh, native peoples of North America, they, they, you know, some of them had the tradition of, of holding one hand up 
as the greeting. And of course, Europeans had the handshake and other people have hugging and, and other people have kissing. You know, it's like, I, is it one kiss or two or is it even three? I'll never forget, Roy, I was in this biker bar in Belgium some years ago and it was a serious biker bar. And I'm not talking like the pseudo bikers. I'm talking literal Hell's Angels were in there, like lots of them. And all of a sudden, a whole bunch of Hell's Angels pulled up with all their colors on and their officer tags. I mean, serious Hell's Angels. And they walk up, but because it's Belgium, they all did kiss I mean, I come from America. You would never see the Hell's Angels doing, I, I live two blocks from the Hell's Angels in Halifax, Nova Scotia. You did not see them doing kiss but that's customs, right? You have these customs and customs was this acknowledgement of greeting in our different ways and showing you a bit about us and showing you our proper dress and what have you. Now customs is come and see how cheaply we can sell you tobacco, sugar, alcohol, perfume. I mean, that's the first thing you see when you go in. The first thing you see is a bunch of the most shallow, disgusting aspects of any kind of culture you could ever imagine. Like, really, is that the first impression that Estonia wants to make to the world or that America wants to make to the world or Sweden does? That the first thing you see when you come in is all the tobacco that's cheap and all, you know, killing people, all the, the alcohol that's cheap. And look, some of it's recreational, but we know damn well that it's also damaging. Okay, but that general insanity lives there all the time. I reached a new level of insanity when I went to uh, uh, Switzerland recently during this COVID thing, not even went to Switzerland, just flew through Switzerland. My, my airphones had died and my, and my AirPods had died and I wanted to get another pair. And, um, and I walk into the store and lo and behold, in the airport store, they've got them, which is really unusual. You got to usually go get them. But I was like, oh, awesome. So I grabbed some trail mix that I was getting. I got some water for the flight and I grabbed my, my, ear, my ear, uh, um, earphones, put them on the counter. Woman says, you can have these, but you can't have that. What do you mean? I can't have that. They go, look. And then I, I see that there's actually a sign above the, all the electronic stuff that says these things are not available for sale right now. And I go, why are they not available for sale right now? And they go, well, because um, we're not allowed to sell non-essential goods. Why are you selling alcohol? Why are you selling tobacco? These are, those are non-essential goods. The headphones are bloody essential. I'm trying to continue my education over here. Like that's non-essential. So she goes, I know it's insane. And then I posted about this online and, it, and, and, and I asked her, well, tell me what I can buy and what I can't buy. So she walked around the store and showed me. Now just catch the contradictions here. I can buy perfume. I can buy alcohol and tobacco. I can buy sugar like it's going out of style, but I can't buy a book. <laughs> Not allowed to buy a book. I can buy a magazine. That, that, the rule, the, the magazine is over there. I'm allowed to sell the, I'm allowed to buy the magazine, but I'm not allowed to buy a book. And, 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 and I am not allowed to buy any electronic goods, earphones, headphones, or any other kind of stuff that I might want to use in my travel. So I posted about this. Here's how the rationale worked. I mean, this is how insane things are today. Apparently, it wasn't just in the airport. Apparently, it was like Switzerland wide. I don't know if it's still going on, but it was Switzerland wide. And here's what happened was the Swiss government said, well, we're going to stop selling non-essential goods. So all the stores that sell non-essential goods have to close, which means grocery stores can stay open. Well, the grocery stores are bloody smart. So what did they start doing? They started stocking earphones and books, which they didn't use to sell. So now the stores that were being forced to close complained to the government. Well, they're selling the stuff we used to sell. So the government said, now they can't sell them either. And there we are in the airport. Unable. We are at the point of insanity around these. And by the way, let's just talk. Let's just look at this for a minute. If this was about, say, COVID-19, let's pretend it had anything to do with COVID-19. Which would you rather people bought, a book or a magazine? Let's see. A book, they're going to read, they're going to keep, they're going to take with them, they're going to go home with it. A magazine, they're going to read and breathe on and read and breathe on and then leave it lying around to breed COVID-19. Like this is, this is one of the examples of the complete insanity that we're living with. 
unbelievable yeah and yeah i mean i see the craziness in ireland there's a five kilometer limit so if you go past that yeah you get a massive fine and it's like yeah it's gone insane so like i know health is a big thing for you and i mean i've always for years i i walked down these shopping centers and you you just see aisles full of gunk when you mentioned the sugar you know earlier like the governments are allowing this and especially things like aspartam that's in diet coke and every, there is toxins that are a hundred times worse than what's going around at the moment. And I know that's a, a mission that you've been fighting for years. So you might just kind of let people know the toxins that are about in different things. You know, Roy, I, I actually tend to focus more on our needs than avoiding the toxins. And, 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 and all of that's important. There's no question about it. It's just, you know, I, I imagine that we, I'm not sure if I shared this when we spoke last time. We were speaking about speaking, so probably not. But imagine that we take somebody and we put them in an experiment. And so, you know, for a year of their life, they eat only perfection. They eat only everything that they should eat. They they eat only the freshest produce. They eat only organically produced. They're they're eating everything that they're supposed to be eating. So they're getting all of the vitamins and the minerals and nutrients and amino acids and all that stuff. They're getting it all. Okay, this seems good, right? But if we were to scientifically somehow extract the vitamin C from any of the citrus they were eating or from any of the liver they were eating or from any of the other sources that vitamin C might come from, if we were to extract the vitamin C and continue the experiment, they would begin to get skin sores. And then those skin sores would infect, they would develop scurvy and they would die. And they would die never having smoked never having eaten excessive amounts of chocolate, never having eaten any, you know, like I, nothing that we consider toxic. They, they simply will die because their body is missing a key nutrient that it needs. And so much of the diet industry is focused on reduction. It's, it's, they're all very like, they're all baby bathwater type situations. You've got to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So you take the average person who is overeating calories and under eating nutrition, like non-calorie nutrition, like, like building blocks. And you take that person and you put them on a calorie restriction program where now they're going to eat less than they were before because, you know, calories in calories out, which is rubbish. But you see, now you have this, like this person who remember they were overeating energy and under eating non-energy nutrients. And now we're gonna cut their nutritional intake by about 30%. Okay, so they're gonna reduce their energy intake, which if they were eating garbage energy might be a good thing, but they're also gonna reduce their nutritional intake. You see, what we really wanna do is stage one is to increase the intake of the things that our body needs. And you'd be amazed at how unbelievably good the body is at dealing with those things if it's well-nourished. If the body is well-nourished, then the body's incredibly good at cleansing itself and healing itself and dealing with the toxins because it has all its needs met. Now, of course, there are certain things that we definitely want to avoid. We want to avoid things like excess sugar or certainly refined sugar. We want to avoid the disgusting processed oils that are in all of our foods these days. We want to focus on getting good, healthy fats in. But, but I really do believe the first call is top up get your needs met, make sure you're well hydrated, make sure you're breathing properly, make sure you're getting enough sunlight, make sure you're moving your body and make sure your body's nutritional needs are being met. And, 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 and here's the crazy bit, Roy, the best news of all, when you do all that, you don't really crave the other stuff and you don't have much space for it anyway. Yeah, no, because yeah, the whole industry is kind of the, the, does it a different way. And like one of the things as well, some people, you know, like they want to get the supplements and everything and they're three bucks or something like that. 
but they're mainly toxins as well. They're not proper supplements that they're actually given. And unfortunately, they think they're doing themselves a favor, but they're probably putting more toxins into their body. Yeah, supplements are tricky because um, we do live in a world now where it is very challenging to get your um, proper nutritional needs met, depending on where you're living, to, to get them all met just through met through natural food sources. That is getting challenging. And so there are certain supplements that I think people should be looking at. And you know, particularly when we're talking about immune system response and that sort of thing. But the fact is, is that the, I, I agree with you, the vast majority of supplements that are being sold are better marketing than they are science. And, and, and there's a clue. The, the clue is the word supplement. So with, with supplements, another thing to consider is that the word supplement is meant to mean in addition to. Like I say, you know, if you have a contract and the contract has a supplement, it is extra. And if you took the supplement away, the contract is still a contract. And unfortunately, most people take supplements as a replacement. In fact, there was the famous Dr. Spock, not the pointy-eared one, but the, the pediatrician. And um, he caused quite an industry stir when he came out against dairy products for children. You know, that was a huge bit of indoctrination that the population was facing at the time, still are in many countries. And he came out against it and said, no, no, no. And one of his friends, I say friend, probably in italics, really, a colleague of his uh, came out and suggested that maybe he was senile and that we, he was crazy for suggesting these things. And of course, the minute he said this, everybody that had an interest wanted to discredit him. And then in that interview with this friend of his, I remember the interviewer saying, well, wait a minute, do you, you know, how do you feel about fruits and vegetables and all this kind of stuff? And he goes, I never eat them. I just take the pills. In other words, he's not taking it as a supplement. He's taking it as an, a, a, as a replacement. And I, 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 you know, look, I just don't think that's a good idea. I, I think that where possible, we want to get our nutritional needs met as naturally as possible. And, and then once we have an observed a deficiency that we cannot resolve through through you know uh, through lifestyle, then we might look at supplements. But that probably means that people should be taking about one percent of the supplements they really are. Most people. And just you know, you mentioned about uh, the the non-pointy aired Spock. Like I know that when we grew up and when we all were told, you know, like dairy products, I would have cheese for most days in my lunch, drinking milk, and and I constantly had sinus problems, and I don't yeah. take it anymore. And it's yeah. gone. And I do the same with my son. I noticed the same with my son. And it was like, no, no dairy products. And it's, yeah, unfortunately, we've been fed a lie in all the food industry, you know, everything that they tell us normally do the opposite of what they're actually trying to promote. Just about. Yeah, it's very true. And, and you know, we have to remember, I, I'm not suggesting that there's, you know, this singular evil person working at Coca-Cola or this, you know, uh, terrible monster of a person working at Kellogg's. What I'm suggesting is, is that we have a broken food production system and a broken financial model when it comes to food. And I, while I am generally a capitalist, I can see that um, uh, food production, food marketing and such is a very good argument against capitalism because profit-driven food companies are driven to get people to eat more than they should. And they're driven to reduce the cost of producing their food. That's just not a good combination at all. Yeah. And like one of the things that I got is uh, there's an app in Poland that I use and I scan the food. And it, it is scary because a lot of the things, the way they word it, you think it's natural and it ain't. And then you see all the toxins on it. And I wish that was kind of more people were doing that. I don't know, is that available yeah. in the States? But that definitely makes you conscious of what you're actually purchasing. Yeah, for sure. So I know you've had a lot of different businesses and I'm kind of like interested in the mental health of people at the moment, because for the last year, so many businesses weren't able to open and I know a lot will go through bankruptcy and it's a really tough time. And 
you know, you might be able to talk about a bit on that. Yeah, you know, it, it is really difficult. Um, I guess I have two thoughts about it. One that might not be so comfortable to hear, and, and, and that's that I really believe that the majority of mental health <clears throat> has to do with physical health. Your brain is, after all, part of your body. And, 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 and so never, ever has there been a time, at least in these generations that are currently walking the planet, I don't think there's been a time where taking care of your nutrition, health, exercise, and stuff has been more important ever. And, and you know, we can say that because of immune systems and fighting viruses, but I'm not even talking about that. I, I, not right this second. Right this second, I'm talking about mental health. One of the things that we've observed, now having had over 35,000 people go through our coaching programs and over half a million people go through our master classes, what we've noticed is that when people improve their relationship with food, when they increase their good nutrition and reduce the, the rubbish stuff, they feel better. Their depression goes away. They stop taking behavior modifying drugs. They, they improve their quality of life immeasurably. And so as we face a time that has an inordinate amount of pressure on a lot of people that's putting people in levels of stress that maybe they haven't experienced before in their life or certainly not for such a consistent period of time. Never has it been more important to make sure that the brain was healthy. In fact, I wanna maybe offer a bit of a reframe here. We hear the term mental health and we assume that what that's talking about is the thoughts, thought forms, beliefs, values, and, and, and potential dysfunctions that exist inside the brain from a thought perspective. What I wanna suggest is that mental health should actually be looked at from the perspective of brain health. And that not only should it be about brain health, but if you're gonna be looking at brain health, you'll have to look at the entire body as health because if you don't have a healthy body, it's very difficult to have a healthy brain. So I, that's my first thought is that never has it been more important to get enough of the good stuff in to make sure you're moving your body to make sure you're getting your sunlight like never has it been more important to take care of the body than it is right now, both for your immune system, but also for your mental health. Now, the next thing is a little bit more challenging and 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 that's that. Yeah, this is difficult. And I really do understand that, you know, losing your business or losing your job during this time or not being able to travel or being locked up with your family or, you know, being in close proximity and not being allowed to go outside. There's a bunch of things that are, that are causing discomfort for people. And I just keep getting reminded of Viktor Frankl. And I, I'm a huge fan. Uh, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is probably one of the most uh, important books of my life. And, uh, and I keep thinking about him. I, I'm thinking about him, you know, psychiatrist, Vienna, 1938 not good timing, you know, and he spent four years in a variety of the camps and he lost his parents, he lost his pregnant wife, and then he had to live through the whole thing. And somehow he managed to find a differentiation between physical freedom, that is that he couldn't walk outside the camp and was told what to do and when to do it, and mental liberty. And that is the recognition that his dreams and his hopes and his ideas, and most importantly, his purpose were under his control and nobody else's, that that was the ultimate human freedom. That is what I keep coming back to as we go through these difficult times. I keep coming back to the fact that if that man can go through what he did and he can come out of it with appreciation for his experience, with even moments of gratitude and moments of happiness and reflection, if he can do that with that, surely we can do it with this. Now, look, 
This is a difficult thing to say. Um, it is a very difficult thing to say because people are facing very difficult things. Uh, uh, you know, drug addiction is going through the roof. Suicide rates are climbing. Uh, home abuse is off the charts. I'm not trying to pretend that this is not very, very difficult for people. What I'm suggesting is, is that if we can find meaning in the events around us, and if we can find meaning in our lives with a strong enough why, we can overcome it all. We can overcome everything. And that is what everybody I think should be looking for right now is what is the meaning of this for them? What is the purpose of this for them? What is the purpose of their life? What are they going to do with this? How is it going to make them stronger? How is it going to make them better? And, and I can tell you, I've spoken with literally thousands of people over the course of this time through shows I've been on and, 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 and personal coaching that I've been doing with people and all that kind of stuff. And time and time again, I've seen people move from victim to powerful by deciding what this meant for them, what it was gonna do for them, what it was gonna build for them. Some people are beginning to realize that, you know what, I, 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 I have more time than I had before. I, I, I'm not commuting all the time and I'm, I'm utilizing that in another way. Or some people have used it to really reconnect and rebond with their families, which I think is incredibly powerful. Some people have written books. Some people have you know, created new businesses. Uh, uh, a friend of mine in, 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 uh, in Estonia was struggling deeply with her photography business. And, uh, you know, because event photography is not really going to be a thing in, in the world of COVID. And so she started a company making the coolest hoodies. They're called Moody's. Like she just started this company. She had the time. And, and, and so some people are saying, some people are asking this, how can I use this? How can I benefit from this? What might be good about this one day? How might I look back one day and see this as an advantage? And those questions might help somebody do that. And I hope they can. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. And um, I, I see, in, was it in 98 or 2018, you got a medal from the Canadian Senate? I did. I think it's here. Right there. <laughs> so you might tell people what that's about. You know, I, I um, when I when I started doing what I was doing, um, when I what I'm doing now, which is largely uh, writing, speaking, uh, educating, and so forth, um, that really came about because I had been in business. I'd been in traditional business. I started a mobile computing equipment company in London or in Bristol, actually. I I got involved in uh, movie production and 3D film engineering and I, all kinds of fascinating businesses, and um, I enjoyed them, but none of them lit me on fire. The truth was. And uh, I one day did get that weird phone call that, you know, just happens every now and again in life where everything shifts. And the phone call was an invitation to come and lecture on business and marketing at Tony Robbins Business Mastery Programs. And so I spent the next year traveling around the world with Tony teaching business, and I loved it. And frankly, as a child, as a student, I'd often thought about being a teacher. But when I found out how little we pay teachers in our various cultures around the world, how little we respect them, and I'm, 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 I can get angry about that if I go too far, but you know, I just decided that wasn't for me. And weirdly, it had come full circle and here I was teaching. And so I started doing, I started following my passion. I started doing what I loved. I started doing what I wanted to do. And I was lucky because I'd made some good investments and good decisions in my life. And so money wasn't my highest priority. It wasn't my highest directive. So I was able to make decisions not purely about, oh, well, I need to earn money. I could make decisions based on what I wanted to do or what I felt called to do. And that led to, you know, the creation of, of uh, Business Freedom Academy, teaching entrepreneurship all over the world. Uh, uh, and of course, WildFit, which has been a phenomenal success. We have, we've had, you know, uh, um, client, we now have clients in 130 countries around the world. Wow. And at one point doing a talk um, somewhere in Vancouver, Canada, 
um, somebody recognized that and nominated me for award in Canada. And the Canadian government, I get this letter and they, you know, asked me to come to Ottawa where uh, on the Senate floor, I was awarded with what they call a Senate 150 medal in commemoration of the Senate's 150 uh, 150th anniversary. And the medal was specifically for what they called unsung heroes, people that were doing things um, that maybe weren't getting much recognition out there in the world, but they were doing great things. And specifically in my case, they said for helping people improve the quality of their lives. And it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. You know, as somebody who opted not to go to secondary education and follow the traditional paths and do all those things, I've never really looked at my life as being a life that would be full of, you know, that type of recognition. But I'll tell you something, I'm really appreciative to uh, the Canadian government, the Speaker of the Senate, and the Senator, Senator uh, Mobita Jaffa, for, for nominating me, because I think that was the moment that I decided to take it all even more seriously. It was the moment when I decided that this was this fun hobby of mine of helping people was a mission. And they really, uh, they really helped me to see that. Beautiful. So um, what about uh, the masks? What's your view on that? Because like, you know, we're being uh, muzzled, basically, you know, we see it. you saw your beautiful dog there. Some people put a muzzle on their dog, which I don't agree to either. Like, but uh, now you walk on the streets and everybody's been, uh, you know, they're, they're blocking the oxygen into their systems. So. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, if you go to the dogs for a minute, it's like um, I, when I see a muzzle on a dog, uh, what I see is a dog that wasn't trained properly. And, and you know, that's, that's the way I look at that. You're, you're, you're curtailing the rights of that dog because you weren't a good dog trainer or the previous owner wasn't or whatever. But masks are a different thing for us. And, um, and where, where we are today is we are in the age of the perversion of science. And so in the age of the perversion of science, um, what happens is, is that somebody conducts a, um, you know, a research study or a project or what have you, and they do it because they want to prove something rather than they want to find the truth. And so we're, we're in a day and age right now where there are some people arguing that, um, that masks do no good at all. Other people arguing that masks actually make things worse. And other people arguing that masks are going to save your life and protect you. And then other people that are arguing that save masks are really there as part of social responsibility to save all the other people. So let's just be practical for a minute, like just pure practical. Forget what other people say about the science and what have you. Here, 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 if we're just practical for a moment, if somebody was standing in front of you and sneezed, would you rather they had a mask on? Yeah, I would. Now, I'm not for enforced mask wearing, don't get me wrong. I'm just pointing out that masks do cut down on the spray and spittle. I don't care. Like, here's the big thing. I think this even originated in the UK. There was this big thing where they were, oh, no, no, no. It was, it was Southern California, it was Northern California. And what happened was, is there were all the fires going on there. And people, they were saying, well, the masks won't help you with the smoke from the fires because the smoke particles are so many microns big. And then, of course, somebody goes, well, viruses are one one hundredth of that size. So if the mask won't help me with the smoke particles, it's certainly not going to help me with the virus. Right. But viruses don't travel around on their own. They travel on pieces of spittle, which are 100 billion times bigger than the smoke particles. So if we try to pretend that masks do nothing, we're doing ourselves a disservice. And I would challenge you not to walk into the ER ward failing to wear a mask if there's a bunch of people coughing, sneezing, and wheezing. I would suggest that a mask is going to serve a purpose. And incidentally, I was wearing masks three years ago when I went to go visit the chimpanzees in Mahale, Tanzania. Why? Because our human-born diseases can kill them. 
because they're so similar to us. And so we wear masks to make sure that we don't spittle on them and cough on them and sneeze them on them. And that science has been going on for a lot longer than COVID-19. Now, 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 let's talk about personal freedoms. My little girl was being told that her school, they were gonna make her wear a mask all day. She's four years old and the calculated risk of her actually getting sick from and or suffering any kind of seriousness and certainly mortality from COVID-19 are infinitesimally small. It is more likely that she gets struck by lightning while she's kite surfing. And she doesn't even kite surf yet. Like at her age, she is incredibly low risk and somebody else is gonna argue, yeah, but what if she brings the disease home to you? At my age and state of health, I'm also at incredibly low risk. And so what I wanna do is I wanna weigh up the comparative psychological damage that it's gonna to do to her to sit in a classroom full of children wearing masks for a year versus her being in a classroom with kids that are unmasked. And as a parent, I made the decision to pull her out of that school and take her to a school that would allow her to not sit with a mask all day. That said, my real opinion about this is this. Masks do serve a purpose if they are applied correctly and worn properly. The problem is, is that most people don't do that. They wear fake cloth masks or they reuse their mask or they touch their masks all the time. Remember, if you touch the mask, then you're, and then you touch stuff and then they leave their masks lying around. So the truth is the way masks are being worn, I think is making things worse for the most part. And so what I'm really trying to say is that anybody saying that masks are bad is partly right. And anybody saying that masks are good is partly right. And so with that in mind, we should all have the choice. And the way I think that that should work is that individual people should make the choice for themselves as to whether they choose to wear a mask. And individual businesses and organizations should be free to make the choice as to whether they want their clients wearing a mask or not. And then individual people can make a choice whether they want to do business with the businesses based on their decision about masks. Hence, I'm walking down the street, for example, and I want to go get myself a drink at the local coffee shop. This coffee shop enforces mask wearing. I don't want to do that. I don't go to that one. I go to the other one. I am really about personal freedom. Masks should be available to anybody who wants them. Masks should be free. People should be free to wear them without being shamed and harassed and pissed off by people. And people should be free to not wear them. And, and the one exception I make to that is that if you're sick, if you have a fever, if you're sniveling, coughing and sneezing, don't wear a mask. Go home. <laughs> just, just go home. There. That's my answer on masks. I, I like it. Yeah, very good. Very good. And it is the one thing that I've noticed is um, that there's very few people getting the flu because, you know, the people that have the flu, they're wearing the masks and they're not spreading the germs around the place. So I think anybody that has an infection should wear a mask. That That is uh, what you said, I, I think is very good. So so just before we wrap up, uh, like someone that does want to kind of get more, get healthier and everything, maybe on a budget because of the current situations. I know obviously going out in the sun, but what would you recommend that they should do, even if they have to get some supplements or something? What, what would you what, what would you recommend uh, people to try? Okay. The first thing I would recommend is that people get educated. Obviously that helps a great deal. And, you know, of, of course I'm going to offer education paths. Like for example, uh, getwildfit.com has great like food psychology and nutrition programs to help people change the relationship with food. And Mind Valley just launched something called the Immunity Blueprint Quest, which is a 30 day process of helping people top up their needs to keep their immune systems really strong. So the first thing I'd suggest is education. Now let's just do some educating then. Um, my general rule of thumb about this stuff, as I mentioned earlier in our chat, is that it is the most important focus is to get your body's needs met. That's more important than the elimination of things. So let's start with that. 
So what are the needs? Well, we need air. And it's not just a matter of breathing good quality circulated air, which means if you're trapped inside because you're in a place with a particularly tough lockdown, open the damn windows and doors and let the air in, even if it's minus five outside, let it come in for a while. We need to breathe good quality, fresh circulated air. We also need to change the way we breathe. We have to stop breathing so shallowly and we need to focus on deep, passionate breathing like a little bit through the day. And part of the reason behind that is shallow breathing is prey breathing. It's the way prey animals breathe and it helps them produce cortisol in case they get attacked, right? So we don't want to prey breathe all the time. We want to carnivore hunter breathe from time to time, like loud and get the lungs in and out. So that's, that's number one. Number two is hydration. You got to stay hydrated and you can't wait till you're thirsty to do that. If you're thirsty, you've waited too long. You should be drinking preemptively. You should be drinking on Monday to make sure that you are hydrated on Friday. And so keeping yourself well hydrated is incredibly important for immune function and basic health. We also have to make sure that we're getting enough sleep. This is a very underrated thing. I, I, uh, I released a video a couple of days ago uh, with Mindvalley and, it, you know, cause I saw Steve Harvey out there and Steve Harvey's like, rich people don't sleep, rich people don't sleep. And I'm like, uh, okay, A, rich, B, I sleep, and B, I, and I, and there are people who are a lot richer than me that are sleeping really well. I mean, I, you know, I, I, all these guys are talking about Bill Gates, I'm all talking about seven to eight hours is optimal. And of course they can pull all-nighters, but they can pull all-nighters because they sleep well the rest of the time. So it's really important that people get enough sleep darken the room, cool the room down, down to a 20 degrees centigrade is, I find really nice temperature for sleeping and it really helps. Um, so, you know, sleeping properly, making sure you're topped up on magnesium. I think uh, magnesium is a very good supplement that helps with sleep. Sleep. Now, sunlight. Now, look, Roy, you know what it's like for the people that you're in your, in your home country. <laughs> so the sun got stopped right there at the border. <laughs> That's like they stopped at customs and excise. All right. I'm kind of kidding around here, but if you're from Ireland, if you're from the UK, if you're from Vancouver, Seattle, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm, I, I just got no choice. I can't get any sun. No, you can. If it's light outside, that's sunlight. And I don't care if it's coming through the clouds. If it's light outside, go outside and get some of that natural light in your eyes and on your skin. Ideally, some direct sunlight would be useful. And when it's available, go get it. I, I will say this, if you live in any of the aforementioned sun-deprived regional uh, locations, I prescribe to you a convertible. I mean it. I don't think you need to have a convertible if you live in Dubai. I don't think you need to have a, a convertible if you live. If, if you live in LA and you have a convertible, that's about your ego. If you live in London and you have a convertible, it's because you're taking a vitamin D prescription because you know it's only going to be sunny for 15 minutes every third year. And so you're going to take that roof down and get your sunlight. And then uh, it's really important also that you get all your nutritional needs met, that you really eat what humans were evolved to eat. Make sure. And I'm, I'm going to say some of the core items in there. Obviously, if you're not, if you have not made the decision to be a vegan or vegetarian, then getting the very best quality meat, fish, poultry, eggs is crucial. Then of course, also seasonally available fruits and vegetables. That's the primary focus, primary focus right there. Maybe some seeds and nuts from time to time, but that's the primary focus. Everything else superfluous and basically unnecessary. Next thing is movement. Movement. Now, not because of your physical fitness. Yes, you should do that too, but what people so very often forget is that a very key aspect of the body, a very key aspect of immune function is the flow of lymphatic fluid to cleanse your system. And the lymph, lymph system doesn't have a pump. You know, your cardiovascular system has a diaphragm and a heart to keep the air and the blood circling. The lymphatic system doesn't have one of those. The lymphatic system trusts your muscular movements. It trusts that you're gonna do enough movement in the day that it's gonna flow lymph. And unfortunately, Netflix is not helping with that. Neither is work for that matter. Neither is sitting and doing podcasts like this all day long, which is why I always take breaks between them, right? You gotta get up and move around and move the lymph. And, um, and then one last thing, well, two last things. 
One is working on creating a healthy metabolism. This is very different. You know, somebody can eat really, really good stuff, but if they're eating the really, really good stuff in the wrong way, in the wrong seasons, if they're not doing it correctly, then they can create an imbalanced metabolism, which might cause things like insulin sensitivity problems, weight gain, diabetes, and also damage to their immune function. So really working toward a fat burning metabolism on a more consistent basis is helpful. And lastly, and this is so tough when you're talking about lockdowns and stuff like that, affection, physical affection and touch. We are social animals and we require it. It is not optional. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. So I know that uh, I met you through Mind Valley. So you mentioned that the, the course that you've done with them, they do some brilliant uh, quests that they're very high caliber. And I know people as well that have done your wild fit and I've seen the transformation in their body. It's incredible. So you might let people know how they can contact you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with WildFit, the easiest thing to do is to go to getwildfit.com where there is a 14-day food psychology reset. It's actually the first two weeks of our core program, and it gives you a real sense of how it works and why it works. And I'll give you a little clue. Once we've got to the two-week mark, we always ask this question. We will often have classes that have between 20 and 1,000 people in them, depending on which coach people are working with and that sort of thing. And we always ask the clients, if it were to stop right now, if this was the end, if this was the end of your journey, how many of you feel right now that your relationship with food has permanently been altered for the better? And it's 80%, and that's two weeks in. So go to getwildfit.com and check out what that's like. I think it's like $29 or $27 or something. Go to it. And it's absolutely worth trying that out. Uh, also, you can find uh, wildfit at mindvalley.com. You can find the wildfit challenge there as well, the same 90-day challenge we offer. And they have now the Immunity Quest, which is a 30-day program specifically designed around helping you strengthen your immune system or optimize your immune function. And if you want to reach me, uh, the best way to reach me, frankly, is Instagram. I manage my own Instagram and I enjoy doing that. I do my very, very best to reply personally to people when they write to me. And uh, I hope I see you there. Brilliant. Listen, Eric, as, as always, like the last time, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciate all the advice, tips and tricks that you've given the audience. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good to see you again. So that's all for the speaking podcast you find, or for the Awakening Podcast. Sorry, you find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. And we're also on BitChute on Awakening Podcast. So until next week, take care. There's a time